Welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. And today we are talking about The Love Witch from 2016. So as we mentioned last time, this is a historic first for our podcast because I have never seen this movie prior to doing the episode, uh, whereas Heather has. Um, so I'm imagining Heather, you might do more of the talking on this one. I mean, it's possible. Um, cause yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I completely knew what to make of this, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll start with doing the basic facts and then Heather, you can do the plot summary. So, okay. So this okay. is an independent film that received only a limited theatrical release in 2016. It was directed by Anna Biller written by Anna Biller, produced by Anna Biller, edited by Anna Biller. It stars Samantha Robinson, and it features a musical score by <laughs> Anna Biller. Uh, so, yeah, this is one of those, like, uh, I don't know. The one that's coming to my mind is, like, a famously bad movie, The Room. But there are these, like, independent You're going to compare this to The Room? Only in the sense that, like, it has one person that was in mm. charge of everything, you know, like there's yeah. these independent filmmakers who are just uh, multi-talented or in the case of Tommy Wiseau, multi-untalented um, and <laughs> who are just, you know, have their fingerprints on every aspect of the production. So it's really interesting mm -hmm. when that happens. Um, like I, I know Anna Biller even like designed the costumes herself like she built them herself out of fabrics that she like wove herself out of uh silkworms that she grew herself like, i mean it's just it's nuts i don't know about that i mean that I'm was pretty all made, sure that was you all made just up. made that up yeah, yeah that that was all made up. but but you get what i'm saying like like there's <laughs> yeah. she was involved at, at every stage of every aspect of the production mm -hmm. well i mean i can kind of understand that because, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself, right? And, like, I feel like that would be me if I made a movie. I'd probably be, I would, my name would be there a million times. <laughs> because, you know, you want it to be done exactly the way you had it in your head. And the only way that's going to happen to the precision that you want is if you do it all yourself. Yeah. I... I would definitely go the other way. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, if I were a filmmaker. Um, I don't know. You I wouldn't saw... do the musical score. Um, no, I wouldn't. Oh, that's surprising to me. I would find somebody who's like a really good musician to do it. Um, but would you have concepts for that musician to sure. take? And then do it themselves yeah i think as a former musician myself i would have like a strong idea of what i would want the, it to sound like mm -hmm. but um i don't know i i saw an interesting interview with quentin tarantino where he was talking about like before he had directed his first movie he was just an aspiring director he got the chance to be involved in this like cool mentoring kind of thing where they would pair up aspiring directors with established directors and 
I don't know if you like shadowed them for a day or just talked to them or what happened, but he got paired up with uh, Terry Gilliam and he was saying to Terry Gilliam, like, I don't know, you know, I, I have all these ideas, but I don't know if I can actually do it. You know, I don't know if I can uh, make my ideas a reality. And, and Terry Gilliam was saying, well, that's okay. Cause that's not your job. Uh, mm. and he was like, what? And he said, <laughs> well, you, you're the director. So you're, it's your job to have a vision and to communicate that to your actors and your set designer and, you know, everybody else. And then it's their job to make your vision real. So if they don't do that, that's on them. <laughs> and that Ugh. Tarantino said like that, like lifted a weight off his shoulder. Cause he's like, well, I know I can do it then, you know, cause I know I have the vision and I know I can communicate it. So, um, so I guess that's a, a different idea of what a director is. Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you can do everything, uh, then you can, I guess get your vision onto the screen more precisely how it is supposed to be. Yeah. That's just such a scary thing to do. Like give up control. That's so scary. It's like your baby, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't, this is just a me thing, I guess. I just want to do everything myself. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to do the plot summary yourself? Yes, I do. And I will. Okay, so Elaine, a beguiling young witch, has moved to a fresh town to start a new life after her husband dies under very mysterious circumstances. In the gothic Victorian apartment in which she now resides, Elaine spends t her time performing rituals and concocting love potions, determined to find the perfect man. Unfortunately, her spells get a little out of hand, and the men she seduces all wind up dead. When she meets what she believes is the man of her dreams, she performs a ritual to bind them together in love forever. But once again, the magic doesn't work the way she intended and is driven mad in her obsession. The guy was driven mad. No, she was. She was. She's driven mad. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, him too. <laughs> oh, that... Okay. So you think when she stabbed him at the end, spoiler alert, yeah. um, that was... Yeah, I probably should have said that. She's gone insane at that point. Yeah. She's, hmm. like, completely... Lushed. I. The way the magic drove the other men crazy, she ended up driving herself crazy, too. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so before we dive into analyzing the plot, uh, I guess my first question is... Why did you uh, want to discuss this film on the podcast? Is this another way of saying, why did you make me watch this? <laughs> yeah, why? What? <laughs> why did you do this to me? Yeah, Is that what, what you're asking it? me? Not that I didn't like the movie, but I'm just interested as to like what about this sort of called to you. Other, I mean, I know that you're kind of into occult stuff. Uh-huh. That's putting it very lightly, and you know it. Yeah. So do you? Mm -hmm. Did you? Do you? Did you like empathize with this character a lot? <laughs> because of that. 
Um, no, I'm not a psychopath. Um, what I love about this movie more than anything is the aesthetics. Like, to be totally honest, um, the movie is very strange. I think I did warn you that it's really weird, right? I think I told you that. Yeah. It's a very strange movie. You know, because you said that, I was kind of expecting something very different. And so in a way it was like even stranger because it wasn't that st- like i was expecting some really bizarre shit to happen mm. but it, it's well, really you've kind seen of a lot more in a lot of ways you've seen a lot more movies than i have and therefore you've seen way stranger movies than i have yeah so i guess for me this is a really strange movie for you it might not be that strange i guess i should have well i guess what i'm, tra- what I'm s- trying to that. say is like it was it was strange because it wasn't that strange like like it wasn't so the film we should start i guess we should for the listeners sake like this whole movie is made to look like a movie from the 1960s it's got the film grain Mm -hmm. it's got like a technicolor visual aesthetic um the hairdos and the cars and everything it looks like it's like the 1960s or early 70s some of the cars Right, you do see some Not cars all like cars. in the background that are modern yeah. cars that makes you go like, "What? What's happening?" Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, like the film is made to look like it's from the '60s, and not only like it's set in that time period, although like we said, it's kind of not, but more so like like it's a film that came out then. So like the acting style is. Uh, not at all like modern acting like characters having a conversation one will suddenly like turn 90 degrees away from the other actor and just be looking out away as if they're an actor on the stage you know where you often the actor will read their lines where they're having a conversation but they'll turn away from the other person and be speaking it out to the audience they're doing that kind of like very theatrical sort of stuff Mm -hmm. with the acting like it feels like an older movie um yeah so but it and and when modern movies do that what often happens is it's a kind of it's a a parody right like we're supposed to be having fun and and laughing Mm -hmm. at this Mm -hmm. um or it's just kind of it's like they try to amp everything up like i'm thinking about like um again uh, Tarantino coming into our conversation. Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did uh, Grindhouse, mm-hmm. which those were made to look like 1970s exploitation films, but um, those were like amped up to 11. You know, like it, they, it just goes nuts. Like the gore is like spraying all over the place. Like they're they're kind of latching onto the most extreme elements of cinema of that time and pushing it further. Whereas mm-hmm. this, like, it really kind of just feels like um, how a movie from that period might go. Like, it's it's slow-paced, it takes its time, um, and not a lot happens. It's very talky, which is what movies were like back then. Um, so, I guess, yeah, I was expecting for it to become more surreal or um, more gruesome or something. But, yeah, it pretty much... it feels like the director just really loved that period and that aesthetic and wanted to recreate that yeah i mean 
The acting is absolutely terrible. Um, well, by, but, by design. Like, on purpose, yeah. 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 So it's, like, it's hard to judge, really. Like, it's... Yeah, no, I'm not saying... Like, it's... It presentational acting. Okay. I don't... I'm, I'm not an actor, so I don't know the terminology, but... Yeah, it's definitely, like, on purpose and... But it's not like Samurai Cop or or something like that, where it's like it's hilarious how bad it is. Right. It's like I I was thinking about it. I'm like, are they? <laughs> I'm like, everyone is acting terribly in this movie. So. You know, are they? Do you have to be a really good actor to be able to act badly? Like I, I got really in my head about it. Right. I was like, how. <laughs> Or do you, or is it easy to act badly? Like, I just think it's interesting, like what that would look like, you know, rehearsal wise. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it is necessarily bad acting. It's just they're acting in a different style, a different tradition from what you see in 99% of contemporary films. I mean, I, I guess... So I guess I, I think there could be a difficulty to it because if you tr if you were just trying to act badly act wooden it would come it would become like a parody mm -hmm. I don't know I think some of the performances were a little wooden yeah like um Griff Griff Meadows Griff <laughs> yes it's a good name for him I know, right? I started laughing, even though I've seen this before. I'm like, Griff. Yeah, Griff has like a, um, a woodenish performance. Exactly who I was thinking of, yes. Yeah. But, you know, it fits with his character because he, he's supposed yeah, to be Yeah, his name like, is Griff, so yeah. yeah. But his whole thing is yeah. like he's stoic and, and unmovable. Yeah, I guess. So, do you consider this to be a horror film? Yeah. Okay. Why, why is that? Well, there's a lot of murder going on. Not that that's, like, you know, absolutely a horror thing. But I, I really think of that opening sequence. I mean, the music really helps play into that horror aspect. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like a slow burn horror, but I, I do think it's horror. It's not like extreme horror, but I do categorize it as a horror film. Yeah. So, so we're following this character, Elaine, through the film and, um, she's kind of on a, on a journey. I guess she's looking for love, right? Yeah. So, and it's in the title, and so I feel like this is a a movie that's really upfront about what it's about, right? This is a movie about love and how it relates to gender, right? Because we get a lot of discussions of like witchcraft and how the witches have like a different notion of the you know, the roles of men and women than society at large does. Right. Um, 
so i don't know what was your take on that like did you feel like the movie had a message regarding all that well i mean they they did talk about witches and like how you know back in the times of like the witch trials and stuff like the hatred of witches is really just like the patriarchy like you know like being afraid of women's sexuality and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah that's what the witches say yeah but then elaine kind of has her has like different views on it than they do yeah she's like a different type of feminist than they are she's got her own thing going on that doesn't really line up with what they're saying well, it's very complicated, I think, because, like, the the witch guy who's, like, in charge of the coven and who gives that, like, essentially a, a lecture in the middle of the movie, there's, like, several minutes of him just lecturing yeah. about gender and sexuality as we're intercutting with a, a a strip show right? at the burlesque. So it's almost like the film knows that this is boring, so it's like, hey, look at some titties. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, don't know if that's what they were trying to go for maybe on one level no obviously there's a thematic connection as well yeah which the the speech is, is pointing that out right it's, it's a speech mm-hmm. where she they talk about you know use your sexuality to gain power like these dancers right. are doing but um anyway so the guy who's giving this whole speech is we learn that he is like a, a sexual abuser yeah, uh, I fucking hate that guy. Molested, uh, what's her name? The Elaine, the the main witch, and so that I think very much indicates that this is not like the director's voice, or you know what I mean? Like this isn't what something we're supposed to be taking at face value. I guess my takeaway was just I don't know that I don't know if the film like had an answer to the the sort of problem of because it's ultimately a problem of like power right um Mm -hmm. how does love relate to power and who should have the power and i it seemed like patriarchal society is kind of incoherent and crazy in the way that it thinks about women's sexuality right because it's like women get punished for expressing their sexuality and it's like no you're not supposed to you know that makes you a slut and a whore and everything that um tris shouts at, at yes. elaine at the end of the film um but on the other hand there it's telling you the opposite message at the same time like be sexual um and uh you know there's obviously whole industries uh uh, that are built around constantly telling women to pay attention to their appearance and look sexy and, and all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and women are, you know, if you're, uh, a good looking woman, you probably know that like guys are tr- constantly trying to get in your pants and they get angry if you shut them down. And so you're sort of like faced with male violence and, and aggression no matter what you do. So mm-hmm. that is like a shit show. Um, but then I feel like the film kind of shows us that the witch's revision of that gender ideology is also incoherent because it's like they're saying 
that as a woman you need to like take power take control of your own sexuality and have the power in the relationship um and then you can make the guy do whatever you he uh whatever you want him to do but they also say well you need to let him feel like a man and you need to give him what he wants and it's like those are opposites like <laughs> you know yeah what 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 are you supposed to be doing um and uh, I don't know. I guess you're supposed to give him the illusion of control, but really maintain the control for yourself. But then it's still re is reducing love to a relationship of manipulation and power that seems really hollow. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I I didn't like I didn't like the witches. Um, whatever ideology very much and it didn't seem right. to work out for elaine mm -hmm. but i mean she's got she's got other things going on as well i think you mentioned she's you said she's not a you're not a psychopath mm -hmm. it, she does seem to be uh, like on that spectrum right like she never shows any There's... remorse for anything she yeah. does she doesn't There's seem to be able to empathize there. with other people like she goes out for like a lunch date with her friend whose husband just oh, died. Oh god, yeah. And mm -hmm. and she's just like, "Well, I just met this guy and he's like so cute." Blah, blah. And she's like being so bubbly <laughs> and everything and and it's like not the way and like function read human. the room. Exactly, yeah. She has no like sense of how this other person is feeling. It's like narcissists have that problem, right? They don't understand what's appropriate and what's not like they they'll just go on and on not realizing that like this is completely inappropriate yeah like they just don't they're out of touch with that because they don't really they have an empathy problem mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh, that's actually a pretty accurate depiction of like what a narcissist is like you know yeah so um i, I think I mean, there's there's different definitions of love, which I think the film is interested in. Um, but obviously, one definition would be like a caring relationship between two people, a, a relationship of like deep emotional connection. And in that sense, I don't feel like Elaine is really capable of love. No, I don't think so either. I think they sort of touched on like, some past trauma that she has that probably affects the way she um, feels or not feels about things. Like, I think that she, her self-esteem was so low that she just, like, kind of went ape shit in the other direction. Like, she just... You know, it... They kind of touched on the fact that her husband was kind of abusive, but then again, can we always trust her memories and her inner dialogue? Cause does she does she even say that he like abused her? Well, you can hear him speaking in her mind, which we're I think we're supposed to think is a memory. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember this. He's like, There was a hot dog behind the yeah. couch. Like how did that even That was get there? okay, that was the one time I did laugh out loud in this movie. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, and he was just like, you know, saying that she doesn't 
she never brushes her hair. She doesn't take care of the house. She doesn't take care of herself. Um, And then there was like another voice telling her that she's fat and ugly and all this stuff, which I think might be her dad, maybe. Mm, Yeah. Um, So she's definitely experienced some shit. Yeah, although the the ex-husband or (laughs) ex-boyfriends, whatever he is, his his complaint he's an ex-husband ex-husband his complaints seemed like pretty reasonable you know um well like why yeah is, why is there a hot dog <laughs> behind the couch you know like what are you doing he's out there working and she's sitting at home this is stinky ass hot dog <laughs> sitting there <laughs> I, yeah, so I'm conflicted about it, too, because on one hand, it's like, what is going on with you? You know, like, why aren't you putting anything into this relationship? But then again, he did... Eh, they both made mistakes. People are flawed. Whatever. Um, but the other voice was telling her that she was, like, fat and stupid. So, I, but then again, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We, I, you know, in her memory, she keeps saying, oh, she keeps telling people that her husband left her and then it's revealed that he's actually dead and she was even a suspect in that, in the murder and, but she's telling everyone like, how crazy is that? So like, it is a little bit up in the air as to like what actually happened with that relationship and, and what's going no, on. She, she killed him. Oh no, I know that. I know she killed him. Okay. But what was the nature of their relationship exactly? Yeah. We don't actually know for sure. So we just know that there was a hot dog behind the bed and nobody <laughs> knows why. <laughs> that much is certain. Yes, that's about it. Um I don't know. I think it's 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 definitely a film that's kind of it gives us a bunch of different perspectives to to sort of chew on because yeah, there's right. that cult leader guy, and then there's um, Trish, who's like a more traditional feminist. Right, because Elaine had that whole thing like, oh, just give a man everything he wants, and Trish is like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, you know, and because she's like, oh, if I gave him sex every time he wanted it, like. You know, and Elaine's like, oh, that poor man. Like, I would leave that table if I were Trish. I'd be like, this bitch is nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I meant by saying Elaine is a different type of feminist. Because, like, feminism is about being whatever you want and doing having the freedom to make whatever choice you want, being whatever type of woman you want. Elaine just wants to be the ultimate fantasy she wants to be the perfect woman because she was made to feel like she was nothing. Mm-hmm. So her revenge on the world is to be the perfect woman, to be the ultimate fantasy. Yeah, I I think her, what, I'm not sure she really understands what she wants, really. Right? Because. No, she doesn't at she's, all. She's kind of incoherent, right? Because, yeah, she does say stuff like she a lot of the things she says and does indicate that her like deepest desire is to be completely adored by somebody right i mean that's why you Mm -hmm. give somebody a a literal love potion um 
she wants men to be obsessed with her and desire her. But then when she succeeds and that happens, then she instantly mm -hmm. turns against them. And she's like, oh, you pussy, you know, you're so weak. Exactly. And so like he, all he does is cry all the time. He's just like a woman. She said that about two different men in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely like internalized misogyny there where. Yes. She, yes. I guess, I don't know. Maybe that's what the film's kind of about is like the way that an attempt at feminism can be um, undermined by the sort of internalization of misogyny. Like she, th she thinks she wants to be in control of the relationship. But she, but she really doesn't. Yeah, like as soon as she is, that's totally unfulfilling. Right. She's what we call a pick me ass bitch. Do you know this term? Um. Pygmies. They're She's like a, the little she, tiny people, right? No. The, do you mean pygmy? That was, um, that was a joke. You're so dumb. <laughs> um, a pygmy-ass bitch is like the girl that's like, ladies, why aren't you cooking for your man? Like, this is why no one wants you. Like, that's a pygmy-ass bitch. They're called that because it's basically like a cattle call for male attention, right? Like, look how good I am. Look at oh. me. I'm the perfect woman. Like, you know what I mean? It's with these women who, like, put other women down and in order to get male attention or to find a boyfriend or whatever. You know what I mean? Basically just get male attention. It's called a pick-me-ass bitch. Elaine is a pick-me-ass bitch. And she's also a N-log, which is a not-like-the-other-girls. Hmm. Um, because she's like, I'm the ultimate fantasy I give a man everything he wants. Like, I'm not like you, you basic wife. Like, I actually fulfill a man's needs. Like, it, it, those are two different things, but she's both of them. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting that... I think you can see her insecurity just in the fact that she uses the love potion, right? Like, on top of all the other stuff that she does. Um, like right. She has, she she's has already... She's already super beautiful and like is, gets yeah. male attention on her own, but it's not good enough. She has to have even more power. Yeah. You'd yeah. Think she's... If she had a love potion, she could be like a total hag, right? It wouldn't matter. She could right. just slip something she in the guy's drink she, and you know, she is a love fart potion. And belch all she wanted. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of this has to do with her insecurity. Pretty much all of this movie is just Elaine's insecurity they make it seem like she used to be like ugly and fat um because they mentioned like her losing a lot of weight and her husband said the thing about not never brushing her hair so mm -hmm. she was like unkempt so the thing about like if you used to be ugly you feel ugly your whole life yeah. So she's just really, really, really insecure. Plus, her husband was going to marry another woman. So that's obviously going to set off her insecurities really bad, too. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of have the opposite problem. I used to be really good looking and now I'm ugly. So I still I still feel really hot and <laughs> gets me into trouble. OK, Kenny, none of what you just said is true and you know it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess we've psychoanalyzed Elaine. Yeah. Enough. Um, I could do it some more, but yeah, there's no point really. There's a, there's a lot going on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of the tea room, so there's like a very noticeable costume change as they go into that room from their their meeting in the apartment. Um, mm-hmm. And I noticed like it seems like dressing up and cosplay seems to be like a, a big motif in the film. Of course, our main character, we see her sort of elaborate um, way that she preps her her body um and kind of like um patrick bateman and american psycho or something reminded me and then there's the part where trish goes into uh uh elaine elaine's like room when she's not there and like dresses up as her and puts on her makeup and stuff like yep. a like a weirdo yep and and then there's like the other kinds of dress up right like the tea house everybody's dressed up and in, in essentially period costumes and then the there's house. the what did i say is <laughs> it the tea house the tea tea house is what, what did you call it right tea room it's a it's a tea room but i just think tea it's, place it's whatever cute. go on so and then there's like the renaissance fair thing the the mock wedding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where everybody's dressed up like they're in the renaissance so it seems like that's like something that's going on throughout the film so what did you think of that there's yeah i mean there's a lot of different outfit like there's the whole like pagan rituals and there's those people are wearing all kinds of different outfits yeah um all these robes there's one guy in a suit at that thing for some reason Uh yeah this time i paid a lot more close attention to like who was wearing what at what time it's really interesting there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on there um i think maybe it's because like people have many different aspects to who they are like what makes them up and so wearing different outfits is like you know, people are very multifaceted, mm-hmm. and we wear many hats. Uh, maybe like wearing a mask. You think you know the the persona that people see isn't always what who you really are. Sure. You know stuff like that. Yeah, and maybe like there isn't a real you. Like you're just it's just identity is performative sure um yeah i thought it was interesting to see the witches all um dressed up in the renaissance fair section because it it felt right to me because it's like yeah like these this whole witchcraft thing like there really are just larpers you know like these people are dorks um oh yeah witches are big time nerds that's real life they're just nerds yeah nerdy nerds which i guess is another part of why this didn't strike me as a horror film because i feel like i don't know i've just been reading uh the 18th century book by edmund burke the um philosophical inquiry into the origin of our ideas of the sublime and beautiful um which is like a famous book on aesthetics and and one thing that burke really harps (laughs) on with the sublime is that 
you know, in order to create that effect of sublimity, which is kind of like a controlled terror, um, you obscurity is a big part of it. You have to sort of hide things in darkness and shadow, if not literal, then in the sense that, you know, the, the audience isn't directly aware, but has to kind of guess about something that they, they don't know exactly. Uh, and any kind of uncertainty and stuff like that is is a big part of creating that effect. And I feel like that's super true when it comes to stuff like witchcraft, because, um, like, take something like Rosemary's Baby, you know, like, it's hidden away from us for so long, and then even at the end, we don't see what the baby looks like. Um, if you do show the, the witches and everything in broad daylight, it's like, oh, they're just dorks. Like, they, they, they're, they're just, it's silly, and it just, it becomes funny. Um, okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know to what extent that's intentional or what's going on with that. I don't know either, but I thought it was creepy. Hmm. I just, th I think it's mostly because that dude is so fucking creepy. So, the, like, high priest of the coven, he's creepy as fuck. I hate that guy. Yeah, that's an interesting, like, subplot that doesn't entirely get resolved, I guess. Well, here's the thing. Here's what's sad, is that that really happens in real life. They, um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories and spoken to witches that have been in covens where there was a male leader who would abuse his power that way. And yeah. require some kind of sex act as an initiation rite or for like, you know, full moon rituals or whatever. Like, we all have to have sex. Like, this is real. Like, that really happens. You know, like all cult leaders. Mm -hmm. Not all cult leaders, but, you know, in cults, it's <sighs> really, really, really common. Like, insanely common for a male cult leader to abuse his power that way and sexually abuse his members. So yeah, it, that is a, that's real. That's all taken from real stuff, which is awful. Yeah. And I guess in like a more traditional story structure, there would be like another thing that happens with that, right? Like she would confront him and or like, kill him or something yeah maybe kill him he would be like the final victim or yeah you're it it should have been resolved in some way like he shouldn't just be allowed to do that but maybe that is like you were saying it's more realistic that 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 just goes on and nobody does anything about it and it yeah. maybe screws people up and they they kind of act out in other ways in other relationships but they don't bring it mm -hmm. back to that person mm -hmm. she was very like obviously disgusted by him like he would like touch her or whatever and she would either roll her eyes or actually tell him do not touch me yeah so yeah it should have been resolved in some way but that's just wishful thinking in like a story sense in real life it doesn't get resolved so yeah sure so it sounds like you're not 
super like offended as a witch about like stuff like that like did you feel like this film portrayed witchcraft in a way that met with your approval or what well yeah i think that it was depicted in a very um realistic sense you never see anyone like using telekinesis or like causing explosions or something you know what i mean yeah like the only magic that happens is the love potion yes and while love potions aren't you know in the practice love potions it's a big no-no you're not supposed to do anything that fucks with anyone's free will because it's going to backfire on you which is exactly what happened in the movie which um, is another thing about elaine that i think makes her kind of not very sympathetic is like she's not that bright you know like <laughs> she they tell her like don't mess around with love potions and she just doesn't listen and she just does the same thing twice and expects a different result yeah but isn't that pretty realistic sure i mean don't even get me started on the people that come to me and they're like a how do i do a love potion or b can you make me a love potion and it's like no and no like don't n neither of those things are going to happen and it's not a good idea yeah so i guess that um, that is realistic in that the other witches aren't into that and so they're just going to a lot of these people are just going to go on Tumblr and look it up anyway and fuck with it anyway. And then they're going to come to me and they're going to be like, hey, I did this and now this has happened. What do I do? And it's like, oh my God, you know, I told you not to fuck with that shit. And a lot of other people told you not to fuck with that shit. I'm sure you were met with 30,000 articles telling you not to fuck with that shit and you did it anyway. But that's how it goes. They do it anyway. So in that sense, it's also realistic. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it makes sense to me because isn't magic kind of always about power? I mean, it's just an attempt to gain more control over your circumstances than you actually have. So, um, I mean, one of the things people care about the most is love and relationships, right? So that a love potion would be like one of the main things they would go for. Yeah, but, like, you're supposed to come at it in a different way. You're, if, a, a love potion is supposed to be, like, I'm just going to make myself more desirable, and hopefully that'll help me meet the person that I'm supposed to meet. You know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to come at it from a different angle, not be specific and, like, fuck with anyone's free will. Um, but, yes, it it is all about control. And, like... You know, I read tarot professionally and people, they just want to feel like their life isn't as chaotic as it is. They want to feel like they have some sort of control over the things that they can't see or they don't know what's going to happen. And that's really scary. Like, it's really anxiety inducing just not knowing what's going to happen or what's in store for you or... So yes, it is all about control at the end of the day. You mentioned tarot and that reminded me there's uh, tarot cards at various points in the movie and I don't know anything yes. about that. So I was wondering like, obviously there's a card that comes up repeatedly that's like a heart with three swords in it. 
and uh, that obviously is presaging a romantic disaster that then happens. Um, but uh, I was wondering, like, with some of the other cards, or even with that one, is there more going on there that you were picking up on that I was probably missing? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that card is the Three of Swords, and it depicts, like, a heartbreak, like a painful, like, relationship ending. Um, there's the scene where Richard, who is Trisha's husband, is crying and drinking and reading tarot cards, and uh -huh. he has the nine of swords the three of swords and the devil now what that's t what those cards represent are the nine of swords is anxiety and the three of swords like i just said is like a painful heartbreak relationship end and then the devil is all about bondage so what he's seeing is that like he's he basically is the the nine of swords in that moment he's crying and drinking and you know, reading tarot, trying to gain control over a situation. Uh, he's freaking out, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that card. The Three of Swords is is showing him that he, you know, his relationship with Elaine is over and it's very painful. It shows the swords in the heart. That's how he feels. Um, and then the devil, which is about bondage, you see the devil in the card and then there's a man and a woman that are like wrapped in chains. Uh -huh. So he's like in bondage to Elaine, right? Yeah. She has power over him. Yeah. So, so it's not, it's not being particularly helpful because it's like, yes, obviously that is the situation I'm in. Yes. Which does happen a lot in tarot. It's like, Oh, what's going to happen here? And it'll be, it'll show you where you are right now. And it's like that you're just, that's not super helpful, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, I know exactly how I feel right now. Thanks. Um, also, in the beginning of the movie, that's Griff that pulls her over. Yeah. She pulls out the Three of Swords. Hmm. So, she predicted that relationship right there. I don't. I didn't remember that she was like doing tarot in her card. Car well, over. she wasn't. She reached for a cigarette and the card fell out. Oh, okay. So That's yeah, a, the three yeah. the three of swords shows up a lot because I mean, there's a lot of like heartbreak happening in the movie because people are getting all fucked up in relationships with her. Right. But yeah, that's what that was about. So speaking of. The, the relationship with Griff. I guess we can talk about the end of the film where she mm -hmm. stabs him, which has been uh, foreshadowed by the, you know, the paintings that she has of guys getting their hearts stabbed. Um, and then that obviously that card with the heart getting stabbed throughout the film. Um, so what do you think is, how, what is your interpretation of the, the ending? Well, like I said, she was driven mad by her own ritual. Um, that last ritual that she did where she was, like, bonding Griff to herself, mm -hmm. the wording in that spell, right, was like, even if they want to leave, they can't. So that's why he's kind of sitting there like a zombie. He's not in love with her anymore. He is, like, disgusted with her, but... Um, I was confused as to why they even went back to her place because he was it seemed like he had 
broken out of the spell or whatever at in the bar right when he's like okay i'm gonna arrest you now but then she gets attacked by everybody and he has to punch people but then he you know he gets her into his cop car and they drive off and i was surprised that they we then next see them at her place so maybe there's she did some extra spell in the car I don't think so. I think it's still that, like, spell that bonded their souls together. Like, even if he wants to escape, he can't. Mm. He's he's bonded to her soul. So he's going to, like, do things that he doesn't really understand why he's doing. He mm. wants out, but he can't get out. He wants to arrest her, but he can't. Okay. Um, so that's why he ended up back at her place. But she's also just, like, going batshit crazy about it because the spell backfired again. Which is what happens when you fuck with free will. So she's just, like, hallucinating and seeing him as, like, a skeleton because she thinks that means I have to kill him. Um, he wants to leave me, so I'm going to kill him so we can be together forever. Type of thing. Yeah, and then she, like, hears all the voices of her ex-boyfriends yes and she even hears griff saying i love you i want to marry you like she's just she's just lost her mind Hmm. she's just lost it she's i think the thing that happened after this is she probably spent the rest of her life in an insane asylum i think she just spent the rest of forever hallucinating Hmm. that's what i think that's interesting i guess i didn't I don't know. Maybe because like we were talking, we've been talking about the acting uh, in the film. Her her acting always feels very like her the way she plays the character. She's always very composed um, mm-hmm. and kind of cold and distant. Like you can kind of tell when she's being friendly or whatever. Like that, it's something she's putting forward for the other person. Um, and even in her like internal monologue, it doesn't feel genuine to me. Um, right. So it, it's it was hard for me to like totally get a beat on like what what was going on with her. But I I didn't feel like she was that radically different at the end of the film from where she was at the beginning. I guess I felt like of everything she's somebody who kind of does this right where she um tries to have romantic relationships it doesn't work out and people end up dead and Mm -hmm. then she drives off to someplace else so i guess my imagination would at the end would be like she goes over to um you know uh, santa clara or someplace else and starts over that is also very possible very possible yes both of those things are viable endings. But yeah, I guess that is like a good structure for a for a tragedy, like a downward spiral of this character. Um, mm-hmm. We sort of see her rise and fall, see her find her footing in this new place after she's kind of done the same thing before, and then gradually like the pieces fall into place for everything to go sour. Um, to me though i i guess the reason i didn't love the movie although i agree like the that it's very beautiful it's like every frame could be 
like a painting, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, everything is so, um, visually interesting and, and well composed. Um, I, I, I felt like, you know, with tragedy, you're supposed to experience catharsis and it didn't feel very cathartic to me because I didn't really l- like any of the characters really. Like, I guess Trish is the most relatable one, but Elaine is not relatable and neither is Griff. So at the end, cause I mean, he's kind of just a douchebag. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, at the end when she kills him, it's like, okay. <laughs> uh-huh so yeah if i have like a critique of the film i guess that's it you like you wish there was a character you could relate to more i guess there is like trish i kind of like trish although i uh i mean her dressing up as elaine and everything that was kind of like a little overboard but her single white female moment yeah like she seemed to kind of lose it there but um i mean she's the one character where like her behavior makes sense for the most part yeah and you know she's she's likable like she has this strained relationship with her husband but she does love him Mm -hmm. um and and i think he loved her too yeah um so i guess maybe that is the problem is that trish just kind of disappears from the story like and it becomes all about elaine's relationship with griff in the last what 15 minutes of the picture something like that like she has this confrontation where she's gonna stab elaine but then she just doesn't and she goes to the police instead which is also a good choice we Um, don't know what happens to trish well we see elaine praying for her to crash yeah but obviously she didn't because she the um griff got the evidence from her true which i think i don't know that that makes it tough to get so invested in the in the tragedy of it because it's her downfall but we never really like her to begin with i don't know i'm glad that i guess i'm glad that we see eye eye to eye on that i was kind of worried that like you liked this film Uh because you really like saw yourself in that character and I was going to try to talk you down. Well, if I was that far gone, I don't think there's anything you could have done. <laughs> I mean, there's certain aspects that I understand about her. Like, I understand, like, low self-esteem making you act kind of nuts. Um, I understand wanting to find, like, the perfect person. But then, you know, she's just too extreme for me to see myself there she doesn't have any empathy and i have way too much empathy yeah i was gonna say so yeah you kind of have the opposite problem right where you get like just emotionally devastated if like a character dies in a show or something right so there's certain aspects i understand but not as a whole not even close so i was thinking about since we did a witchy movie that's kind of looking back to the films of the 60s maybe next time we could do a witchy movie that's from the 60s Ooh, what are we doing if you Uh, say rosemary's baby you're dead you're dead what about (laughs) rosemary's baby no that's kenny we're not doing rosemary's baby okay i just wanted to see if i would die um (laughs) no uh i was thinking get in a car crash well and here's another segue is 
looking back at all of our movies that we've done, the one that has the most listens on SoundCloud is Mm -hmm. White Zombie. And Mm. I thought a lot about why that might be, because it's not our first episode, it's our second one. Mm. Um, So it's not just that it's the first one, so people start there. Um, It's, I think the the key is that it's the name of a heavy metal band. And Mm. so I think we need to do another classic horror movie (laughs) that is the namesake of a heavy metal band. So I think we should do Witchfinder General from 1968. Am I going to like this movie? Uh, I don't know. Do you like uh, movies about the witch persecutions in early modern Europe? I mean, I don't like witch persecution, but it's also an interesting topic. Do you like Vincent Price? I do like Vincent Price. Well, you will see Vincent Price in what I think is probably his best horror performance. Oh, okay. Then I'm in. And, uh... Yeah, let's watch that. And okay. uh, one last thing before we go. I wanted to tell people you can follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're CinematiconPod. Mm-hmm. And I had I, I mentioned in a previous one that I was putting up like uh, tweets where I was putting up like the five best horror movies from each year from the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it occurred to me, I had like this epiphany that y- there's actually like a thing where you can make it into a little poll and people can click on the one that they think is the best. Right. So I'm going to do that, I think. Uh, okay. Once this goes up, I'm going to start putting like once a day, I'll tweet out. Um, I'll start with the 1990s and I'll put up my options for like the five best of the year. Um, and we'll see if anybody clicks on those things and what they vote for. Yeah, I think they will. So, I don't know. Maybe we could use that as data for what movies to cover at some point. Okay. So, yeah, look forward to that. If you're following us on Twitter, you can also look forward to the spicy memes that Heather likes to post. And... Uh, Yeah, I guess we'll see you all next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.